You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right. A bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ICTPOD, bet just $1 on any NHL team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code ICTPOD at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. You must be 21 and older. Restrictions apply. Now for the episode. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. All right, everyone, it's time for another episode of the Ice Cold Takes podcast. It is Laffy Taffy time, as Alexei Lafreniere seems to be a completely different player since the break. Here to break it down with me is Nick Zararis. Nick, how are you? I'm pretty good. I mean, it's depressing there's not going to be baseball for a while, but the Rangers are at least if they're not good, which is debatable, they're at least interesting. They have they always give us something to talk about. So as content creators, there's never a dull moment. Oh yeah, I mean Rangers Twitter is always on something with me, whether it's memes, whether it's like, you know, their personal lives, like cried bandage ad, and I guess now it could be cried Ben Frenier. Yeah, because because uh, that top line has been so good. Uh, but yeah, content is is not an issue for for us. Definitely an entertaining season to say the least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Alexi Lafreniere has been on a tear recently. Last three games, two goals, one assist. Game score last nine games, according to Drew Way, is point nine one, and that's yeah. supposedly really good. Yeah, the bigger the number, the better for game score. Game score is complicated. It's very, it's good for individual games, but. It's not great for big picture because it's very influenced by if you have goals or assists and you can have a good game without having a goal or assist. So I really went through, I spent a lot of time today going through different things to kind of paint a picture of why it's working and what's been different. So number one, he's playing with Zabinijad and Kreider. They started doing that game 45 of the season. They've had 11 games together with that as the first line. And the results are very good. They're significantly better for both Kreider and Zabinijad. So that tells you that Lafreniere is helping with him. The two guys who are already there have better rate stats. So things that accumulate, it's very... it's better to compare players using rate stats, so like per 60 minutes of ice time, because everybody has different ice time, so it's easier to compare them that way. So big jumps. Kreider, six more scoring chances per 60 minutes with Lafreniere. Zabinijad, eight more per 60. Then in just straight-up goals, 0.9 go- 
goals doesn't sound like a lot, but that's almost a whole goal a game per 60 more, Zabinijad and Kreider. So he is helping that first line hum, and they need it very badly right now because the Panarin line has not been as good at 5-on-5, five five, and they're getting nothing from the bottom six on offense. So for Lafreniere to be playing as well as he is and act- actively improving the play of his line mates, that is an encouraging sign that this this isn't just a couple of good games shooting luck. This is genuinely progress. Now, 10 games is not a whole season. That is a step in the right direction. A good season is a lot of good games in a row. Okay, so you were saying you were saying Lafreniere is, uh, I mean, the fit on the first line is good because, I mean, I, I've going back to like juniors, is like Lafreniere more of a playmaker? Yes, yes. The, the profile, the, the best case profile for him was Miko Rantanen. That was the one guy that a lot of the prospect people in terms of what you could expect production-wise. He's not an elite skater. He's not going to be able to make offense for himself in a way of somebody like a Jack Hughes, a Barzell, a Kirill Kaprizov, who's just faster than everybody else so they can get to offense. Lafreniere's best trait is going to be his his brain. He's going to have to outthink everybody on the ice. And in the role they have him right now, Zabinijad is the main playmaker on that line, and they're still trying to iron out exactly what Lafreniere's role is, but the encouraging thing, and this is anecdotal, of course, just watching the games, he's in the right place. The puck is finding him more, he's in better scoring situations, and the data supports that. He's averaging more expected goals, so that tells you he's getting to better areas of the ice, and that's a confidence thing. He knows where he needs to be, and the more he plays with Kreider and Zabinijad, he's going to have a better idea of what they need from him. So you can really start to see how this can escalate into a good relationship where this line can just stay together now rest of the way. They got to figure out if this makes sense, if it would be better if they put him somewhere else. But in the meantime, the results are backing up what you're seeing when you watch them, which is encouraging because for the most part, that hasn't been the case with the team at large where the results have been good, but they haven't particularly played well. I think he's also making some great passes too. So I don't know if that goes in towards the expected goal category where he's setting up that, but his teammates can't finish or no, it does. It does. Yes. It yes. does? Yes. Because okay. there's individual expected goals, which is the player themselves, what they do. And then expected goals as a whole is what they're on the ice for. So when he's on the ice with Kreider and Zabinijad, they create a scoring chance. That scoring chance has a value, an expected goals value. And the three of them get that in their column for expected goals. And then every chance you just keep adding up, and that's what you get for a whole game. So yes, him creating chances for other players. And specifically, the ones against Vancouver come to mind and against Pittsburgh come to mind, Mm -hmm. where they had four or five golden opportunities where it was just a jam play in the front and the goalie got the pad out faster. But... They're creating good chances, and they're starting to get a feel for each other. And that's important. For someone like Lafreniere, he's only 20. This is his first real full season in the NHL, his first real offseason he's had to prepare for a season. He's still figuring himself out. It's going to. It's not an overnight process. And the real way you can tell if a young guy is having an impact, even without scoring, how many times a game do they touch the puck? If they are actively involved with the game, They're not on the perimeter. 
they're mixing it up they're creating chances they're they're just winning puck battles those are little things they add up over time you win more of those puck battles you feel better about yourself you're able to do more things and the confidence is coming for him which is a really important thing because he didn't really have it last year because he didn't really have a set role he when i was looking who he played with last year it's kind of I, I understand a lot of people expected a lot from somebody touted as highly as he was but he's playing with Heedle with Gautier, guys who don't finish, and that's the problem that they're having right now. Nobody can finish. But you put a playmaker with guys like Zabinijad and Kreider, they're going to be able to create some things. Yeah, so his confidence I've seen is going like up. Like he's may he looks a lot more comfortable out there. He's making moves. Like he's not just dumping the puck in at the red line. Yep. That's what I would always see him doing towards the like the first half of the season. I'm like, wait, why? Why are you doing this? Like. Don't you have the skill to make the move past the defender or whoever's at the blue line? Like, I know he was able to do it. It was probably just a confidence thing. And then to your other point, what you were saying about if he's touching the puck a lot, it's funny you bring that up because um, back before the new year when we played Vegas in Vegas, I actually kept track. I counted how many times he had the puck on his stick, and it was like 20-something times. And that was like a game without Panarin. So he was on that. Uh, line with Strom, but Panarin was not the other line mate on there. He was up there, but it just the Panarin wasn't there. It was like only twenty something times, and then now it seems like he's always had always has the puck, um, which is a good thing. Like now he's also finding and he's in the right place at the right time. Like you go back to that Seattle Kraken game, he scored a goal where it basically just touched him and went into the net. Yep. Yeah. So I mean. Lafreniere is I'm pleased with how he's playing right now and I hope he could continue this going forward and and then the other guy Kako when he comes back from injury I hope they slot him in I hope Gallant's not stubborn Gallant's not stubborn and keeps Dryden Hunt there I hope he doesn't do that I hope he puts Kako where he belongs on that second line I was just talking about this with one of my friends on the pod I recorded earlier about the Penguins and how they've been, for the better part of the last five years, the Penguins have been trying to find somebody who can play with Malkin on that second line. That's the same problem the Rangers have had the last three years since Panarin's been here. They, he's very specific about what he wants from the other winger on that line. We saw Foss there. We saw Blackwell there. We've seen a lot of Barkley Goudreau there this year. We've seen Kako there in spurts. They want a puck retriever, and when it, that line is working, I'm fine with doing whatever Panarin wants. Defer to your best player. That's fine. Strom isn't giving you anything on offense right now. They need to be a little bit more inventive with offense because they're just not scoring enough. I mean, they scored twice against Vancouver. They got shut out against Pittsburgh. They're averaging like one and a half goals a game at five on five since the All-Star break. That's just not going to cut it. They need more offense. They're going to have to get people out of their comfort zone unless they import someone. If they bring someone in and then you want to say, all right, Kako and Heedle, that's the anchor of our third line and we get them a left wing to play with. Okay, I can live with that. But you need to be making a concerted effort to score here because the goaltending has been all world. Shesterkin's been the best goalie in the league this year. And that's with the defense not playing great. So if you give another half goal a game in the underlyings, in conjunction with Shesterkin, the way he's playing, they could do something. But until then, they're just uh, what Shesterkin can do to you. 
at least to me. That's the profile they have. It's very reminiscent of the 2015-2016 Rangers that lost to Pittsburgh in the first round in five games where Hank had one of his best statistical regular seasons of his career, but they were severely overwhelmed against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has four lines of talent. The Rangers have two lines of talent with Kako healthy. That bottom six just doesn't give you enough right now. Yeah, and, you know, I think I've noticed since the break that uh, the Rangers have been getting their chances at 5v5. It's just that they're not finishing. Yes. Like, you, you know, the first two games, it was they were one-goal games. Like, uh, the, the game against the Bruins, one goal in regulation. And then the game against Detroit, only one even-strength goal for the Rangers. The other one was the power play goal that evened the score. Um, it's just, it's not enough. Someone's got to finish. I mean, you can't rely on that third line at all because I, that the offense there is just non-existent. Whether it doesn't matter if they're playing well, like they're doing the right things. Like Goche's drawing penalties, he's driving to the net. The dude can't finish to save his life, so maybe an upgrade there. And then the second line, like you said, um, I've talked to a few people about that with with Panarin's preferences to have the guys that are gonna go get the puck for him. Is that something to do with like like Strom? Like if he had a different center, would that be a problem? Or is that just uh, Aaron's preference? So, like, let's say you replace Strom with, uh, I don't even know, Hurdle or Mark Shifley or Forsberg or something like that. It, every Ideally, every single line, you have a shooter, a distributor, and a retriever. That's your ideal composition. You want to have those three traits. Now, you can have somebody who does both, where you could have somebody who's a little bit more uh, a little bit more of both. Someone like, I'd say Zabinijad is both a shooter and a playmaker. He has good setup stats and shooting stats. So, if you have somebody like that who does two-in-one, you can be a little bit more picky who the other one is. But Strom's not great on the puck, and Panarin's not going to win a lot of those 50-50 pucks physically. That's just not his game. Strom, decent skater, not overly physical he can win a puck battle here and there but he's not what you would call rugged or anything like that so ideally you would get a high-end version of a puck retriever somebody like the the one that jumps out to me is someone like brendan gallagher that type of right wing would fit really well there who's a little bit more high-end because he can record some offense on top of being a puck retriever but there's no like concrete this is what has to be but ideally that's what you want so they've David Quinn deferred to Panarin a lot because David Quinn didn't really he didn't really know how to be a professional coach yet. So he took a lot of feedback from the players, kind of leaned into what they wanted to do, what would make them comfortable. Okay. Gallant has been willing to do the same thing this year where they've played Goudreau there a lot, even though Goudreau Goudreau's not suited for that. He can't finish at a high enough level to be playing top six minutes. If you put him on your third line or if or he's your best player on your fourth line, you're a pretty good team. If he's on your second line, you're not a deep enough team. They they need to figure out what they need to do. And it's okay that they're in a lull. That's just the course of a long season. Strom will get it together again at 5-on-5. Five five. He'll go on one of his heaters where everybody on Twitter gets to make jokes about how, yeah, he misses the net this many times. But then he'll go on one of those 7 points in 10 games heaters and everyone will stop complaining about it. And Panarin... Panarin's been a little bit concerning this year because the underlying numbers have been pretty mediocre in a way they haven't at any other point in his career, but he's still getting counting stats, so you can't really complain about it. They got to figure out the second line. They they get a little bit more consistent offense from there, and it's got to come from outside because unless Kako comes back roaring to go, 
they're not going to get enough from that second line offensively. So it's a very delicate puzzle they're trying to figure out on the fly during the course of the season with injuries and regression and lulls and just the ins and outs of a hockey season. It's complicated. As much as I like to make fun of general managers and hockey coaches for being very boring and uncreative, it is a hard job. It is definitely a hard job. Urinating tree likes to call it the the boys club, the old boys yes. club. It's, that's what it is. Yeah, it's just. And what you also like to say that there's not enough people that say like no to like yes. a decision. Like if someone's saying, "Hey, we should do this," there's not a guy there that's saying, <laughs> "No, don't do that." Like, uh, oh, let's put McKeg on the third line and scratch Heedle. No, no, don't do that. There's no guy like that. No, that, that's the problem with everybody being buddy-buddy with each other. No one wants to hurt anyone's feelings. There's no dissenting voices in these rooms of decision-makers because everybody's friends and everybody's in the club and no one wants to get kicked out of the club. You're going to deal with this. You're going to get things like Nemeth playing even though Jones is clearly better than him. You're going to get things like McKegg being in the lineup even though he is a 13th or 14th forward or somebody who should be in Hartford as opposed to playing on the third line. It's... It's been befuddling, and it doesn't help that Drury and Gallant have not been very direct, and they're not good communicators. Like, if Gallant gave me a well-thought-out answer about why McKegg is in the lineup, I wouldn't agree with it, but at least I could understand his line of thinking. Him, it's just, he's bullshitting. He He's a Hall of Fame liar. Every single time he says something after a game, yeah, it's not that serious. Kako's out a month and a half. I, 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 I wish the team was better at communicating to the public. I think that would diffuse a lot of the frustration that's out there because right now a lot of us feel pretty powerless or and we don't understand why they're doing what they're doing. I would love more direct communication from the team, even about simple things. Who's the goalie tonight, Gerard? I'm not telling you. Why? It doesn't make a difference. The other team knows who your goalie is. It doesn't change how they prep for the game. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. His I, if if I could summar, summarize Gallant in his press conferences in like one quote, it's like if I were a betting man. Yeah, it's like yeah, you're full of shit. You're not. <laughs> that's the thing. Like it, he won't give a straight answer at all. I I but I do appreciate like when the team's having had a rough night or whatever. He he'll let it. He'll let them know. Like yeah, he'll say it. I appreciate that kind of accountability. Reminds me of like uh, like Terry Collins, kind of. Yeah. John Tortorella yeah, back in the day. Definitely, yeah. And he's yeah. he's selective about it, which is weird because like the other day he's like, no, this morning, what was the question? He said, yeah, I told Heedle to be more like Zabinijad. You don't think he would be Zabinijad if he could be Zabinijad? That's not really something I would say to the public. Just the way the the team chooses to give public messaging is very confusing. There's not really a coherent strategy in what they tell us. It, it, they're, they're not curating. They're not sitting around at a table. Okay, how do we present this? It's very much, all right, this is what Gerard's thinking on this given day and whatever. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it goes, it goes up until like not even like the team managing personnel, but like social media too. Like the messaging is terrible. We were supposed to be getting this, uh, what's it called, the Mean Tweets video, which everybody and their mother was, like, looking forward to, and we haven't gotten it. And it's so disappointing because it's, like, content that we want. Like, we want to yeah. see this. We want to see the players react to our tweets. If, most likely our tweets, like, the amount of stuff that, that we've said on there, 
yeah. all the memes that we've done. I mean, remember back in the beginning of the season, everyone was making Troopa traffic cone memes and yeah. stuff, stuff like that. The A's with the alternates, with <laughs> with uh, the six alternates. Like we don't get to see that, you know. Yeah. I agree with you though. Like with the messaging, there's uh, there's something off. There's something off there. I was thinking like he was holding Heedle out of the lineup because maybe he was. They were thinking of a trade, and they don't yeah. want him to get hurt. Um, I mean, I've seen his name floated out there. He's got he's got cap and a little bit of term, so like next year he's got his deals up, uh, and you know the off season we have cap space right now, but this off season is going to be tough to keep everybody. Yep. It it this, I just spent a solid ten minutes talking about this on the last the pod I recorded. <laughs> the way the math works is befuddling. So they are going to end up with like nine to $10 million in cap space when the season is over. And they are going to need to sign four or five bodies with nine or $10 million. And some of those bodies are going to, you're going to need to figure out what contract you're giving Kako. And that's difficult because he hasn't put up a ton of counting stats, but he's your second overall pick. He's getting incrementally better each of his three seasons in the league. The season after that, you got to figure out what you're doing with Lafreniere and what you're doing with Keandre Miller. You got to figure out something depth wise at center because Strom is done at the end of the season, which makes any addition you make at the deadline more if they have term, Strom is gone. So it's a very delicate balancing act. And the real issue, the real crux of the issue in the way they've designed this roster. All of the money kicks in next year, where Fox's extension kicks in, Zabinijad's extension kicks in. That's with Truba, that's with Sturkin, with Panarin. $45, $50 million tied up in seven guys, and you still need to dress another 11. The math really starts to get complicated there, where if it's not Lafreniere and Kako making enormous leaps, it's very difficult to see how this team ever becomes more than just a second-round playoff team. The math is very difficult you gotta work you have to rely on those elcs like crazy like next year jones and schneider or robertson and schneider whoever you want has to be a pairing if you want to keep everybody together like that's it's it's mandatory honestly yeah there's no other way around it kravsov still on it is kravsov still on his like if let's he's still on his elc but like next year if the rangers don't trade him let's say he's still got a year on his deal, right? Yeah, he's 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 gone. I, yeah, he's go- okay. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, okay, um, Brendan Othman, another guy you could you might be able to throw in there, but you might you don't know what you're gonna get from him because he's yeah. young and he's never played in the league before. Yep, it, that's the real thing. They've banked a lot on their ability to develop their talent, and we know this is a franchise that is not great at that. The best players the team has had in the Lundqvist era, in their modern history, so pre post-2004 lockout, aside from Mark Stahl, Henrik Lundqvist, but Lundqvist had significant playing time in Sweden before he came over, pretty much everybody aside from Mark Stahl had at least 100 games in a developmental league, whether it be NCAA and AHL time, time in Russia, wherever. Pretty much everybody you can think of who was an important contributor to the Rangers going to the two conference finals and the cup final, they had significant development time before they got here. And then you look at the team as it's currently constructed. Zabinijad, 
200 plus games in Ottawa. Panarin, two other teams before he got here. Kreider, two and a half seasons at the college level. Ryan Strom, two other teams before he got here. Kako and Lafreniere, that's that's the Rangers. Those are Ranger guys. They've been in the league since they got drafted, and the results are not as good. They need to find a way to get a 70-point season, a 65-point season out of Lafreniere if this team's going to do something. That's really the only way the math works in terms of just scoring goals, let alone the salary cap. Yeah, and you can't rely on the the ceiling going up. I've heard it's only going to go up by like one million this year, and yeah. a lot of that has to do with like like Canada and uh, the fans and stuff. Like they're yep. not allowing fans back into the building. I mean, for good reason though, because you know you have to be cautious of COVID. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, you can't rely on that thing, and it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I don't know how much money Strom's going to ask for. There's also like guys like Rooney who might be looking for... Rooney's a cap casualty, I think. I think they will get he's a fourth line center. Too. I like him a lot, but I think he's, he's big, replaceable. You can't be paying a fourth line center more than a million and a half dollars unless yeah. they're Brian Boyle circa 2013 levels of impact where yeah. you're going to win 55% of face-offs. You're going to be around 50% of scoring chances. And Rooney's metrics are pretty bad, and he doesn't win a lot of face-offs. So they will get a cheaper option there. Reeves they're going to keep because they gave him an extension already ahead of last year. So you start figuring out the math. You can see what the lineup's going to look like. But center is the problem. Heedle, I his underlying numbers are good. He's got really good traits. He's got good size. He's a good skater. He can't finish to save his life. He's probably a wing, not a center. But he's cheap. He's still on the upswing. He's got the third most games of any player from his draft class. He's had no real development. He's had no great line mates, really, at any point in his developmental time on the roster. That's the kind of guy you keep around unless you're putting him in a trade package for something big. You don't just do like a one-for-one swap of him for something like Barrett Hayden where you're just getting a center to get a center. He's cheap. He's not going to cost you a lot. He's got good traits. Those are the kind of guys you need to keep around because they're inexpensive. It's okay to have guys like Heedle, like Gautier, who they have good metrics, but they don't put up stats. Those are the ideal guys for your fourth line because they're not going to be expensive. You start getting expensive when you are a good penalty killer, when you put up a lot of counting stats. That's where your money comes in. Guys like Zabinijad always going to make their money. But when you start paying guys who only get 25, 30 points on a season, three and a half, four million dollars, that's where your math gets really difficult. That's the thing the Rangers really got to figure out. How do you distribute your money? And is the way you're distributing your money make sense? That's the problem. The Math-wise, the biggest red flag they have is they're paying Truba like he's the number one defenseman when he's not. It's too that, much. It's way too much. He, I mean, he's having a great year. It's just... He's getting too much. I wish, they, I wish you could like restructure deals like in the NFL yeah. or whatever. That would be so awesome. Because Fox is better. There's there's just no arguing. There's no there's no school of thought where what Truba does is more valuable than Fox, but Fox is only making a million and a half more. You can't have 18 million tied up in two defensemen unless they play together and it's uh, Brent Burns or Mark Edward Vlasic type deals. You can get away with it that way. But the way the Rangers have their defense set up, the math doesn't work. And that's a real, that's a real issue. And eventually they're going to have to come to who goes between Kreider and Truba, 
And that might just be who's willing to move, waive their no movement clause. That really is going to be the financial decision they're going to have to make two years from now. So not this offseason, next offseason. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to to lose one of those players. But I mean, if I had to make the pick, I'd probably go let go of Truba. But I mean, I, he again, both of them have no move clauses, and uh, they have the power to control like where they go and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but we have defense. It looks Brayden Schneider looks great so far. I mean, a lot, I remember wanting Hendricks Lapierre at that spot when we drafted him. Everybody wanted the center there because you know we we lack the depth. We still do, and we're we're still suffering from that. We don't have <laughs> we don't have a, a a good enough third line after Strom. It's just it's not good enough. Um, but I mean Schneider looks good and he plays a similar style to Truba, and a lot of people feel like he might be his replacement. So I wouldn't even be mad if you know we bumped Schneider up to a top four role and like, put mm-hmm. him in the spot where. Uh, where Truba is right now, maybe a pair of of uh, Miller and Schneider. Who knows? Miller's offensive game seems to be getting a lot better. It's just I always say this though, but he's got a a, a good frame, a good he's good good sized defenseman. But I need him to use his body more. Very good okay. at poke checking, but he's got okay, to fill so, that frame in more. Okay, so this is the thing with Miller. Traits wise, he's a a scout's dream. He's big, he's yeah. fast, he's got the long reach. He still doesn't know what he's doing. That is the biggest thing that has jumped out to me. He is getting by purely on athleticism right now. He's not very well developed hockey IQ-wise, where, like you said, he's reaching when he should be playing, using his body positioning yeah. to take away space. They're still babying him. They're still telling him, keep it simple. If you have the puck on your stick, off the glass, out of the zone, keep it simple. They need. He's at the point now where he's treading water at the NHL level. He's confident enough to tread water. Now they need him to actually start swimming in the pool forward where he's an active part of contributing. Because he's got all of the traits you want. He's not going to be expensive because he doesn't put up a ton of points. He doesn't kill penalties yet. He's in a perfect scenario where he's your your number three defenseman for the next five years, and you're ecstatic about it. They need him to be more now. He's competent enough that he can get by on athleticism because he's a freak of nature. He's big and fast. He's got long arms. Now they need him to be a hockey player, not just an athlete, because right now that's what he is. He's getting by on, okay, this guy goes here, I react like this because he's big enough to do it. Eventually, that's not going to work. He is going to lose foot speed at some point in his life. They need to amplify his best traits right now, and they're not doing that. They don't encourage him to skate with the puck, even though the few times we've seen it, he's created some good stuff on offense. He scored that goal a couple weeks ago purely on off the faceoff where he came down behind the net, swooped around on a wraparound. The traits are there for Miller to be a very good but not great defenseman. They need to get his hockey IQ up because the traits are awesome yeah i mean i i love what i'm seeing like he's a he's like a physical specimen that one uh i don't know if it has anything to do with like has he spent enough time playing defense in his career i mean he was he's new from yeah he's he's got one season in college two in the nhl that's all and then one year of high school that's all he's had in his life of playing defenseman it's going to take time, and they threw him into the deep end last year, putting him on the second pair and saying, you're going to figure it out this year, and he's still figuring it out right now, and 
it doesn't help that Truba freelances so much on offense because Truba thinks his shot is a lot better than it actually is. <laughs> And he freelances way too much where he leaves Miller one-on-two going the other way because he's pinching up in the offensive zone. I'm still waiting for them to try the opposites. I want them to put Lindgren with Truba and Miller with Fox because the skill sets complement each other a lot better. I don't know if they will ever do it, but it's worth a gamble because that second pair, the underlying numbers aren't great. Even the actual results, like just straight-up goals for and against, are not great. Truva and Miller have too many simple breakdowns for guys who have played together as much as they have. The communication, especially the net front stuff, is infuriating with those guys because they're both decent skaters and have big enough size. Unless you're both going two-on-one to get the puck out of the corner and a forward's covering, you should never be leaving the net front alone when you have two guys out there who are that big and that good of skaters. It's just the little things start to add up when you have guys who are both... They both get a little bit too cute with it at points with, oh, we're going for the puck, especially Truba in the neutral zone drives me crazy. Oh, yeah, he's he constant... steps up a lot. He used to do that under uh, Lindy Ruff, and that pissed yeah. me off. He still does it from time to time, but it, it bothers me. I know what you're talking about. He pinches up, and he leaves Miller two-on-one, and it's hard to defend two-on-ones. There's a reason you don't want to defend two-on-ones. It's more likely to result in a goal. It's just... At some point, this is who Jacob Truba is. He's 27 going on 28. Miller's only 21. There is time to get more out of him. At some point, they need to realize we have something here that could be really good. The comparison my one friend made the other day, and, uh, last week we were talking, uh, best case scenario for what Miller is, Jay Bomeister, if you remember him from the St. Louis Blues yep. and the Flames. Really good skater, really big, never a ton of stats, but Awesome traits, shut down defenseman. That's what Miller can be if the Rangers develop him right. Yeah, Bo Meester played in the NHL forever. He, yeah. He had like, what, like 19, 20 years in the league? Yep. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big supporter of Fox Lindgren as a pairing, I mean, because of the chemistry, but I like to keep an open mind. I wouldn't mind having Miller Fox as a pairing and, and uh, Truba Lindgren as a pairing because, I mean, Fox and Lindgren are both great individual defensemen, and Lindgren does a great job, I'd say. Uh, it wouldn't... I You've seen Fox play with Libor Hayek, and we're yeah. fine. So he could play with Keandre Miller, and we'll be fine. Uh, defensive, defensively, that is. Uh, in terms of overall uh, for the season, at the beginning, we were saying... At the beginning of the year I had you on, we were talking about you know what we wanted to see from the team... We had made those moves for the 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 bottom six, the grit narrative, as uh, people like to call it. Uh, Sammy Blay is out for the season now. How would you assess the team in, in terms of like your expectations from heading into the season? Results wise, I expected them to be somewhere between fourth and th- second in the division. So about where this is where I expected, I didn't expect them to be as good as they were in the first half. They were better. They played a little bit above their weight in the first half of the season. Cause shesterkin has been out of his mind all season. Underlying numbers. I expected a lot more from Gallant because Gallant's teams have historically always been good. They've always been more scoring chances than the other team, more quality scoring chances than the other team pretty tight defensively, play heavy rush where it is a never-ending wave after wave after wave of offense. 
based off of the rush, trying to create two-on-ones, three-on-twos, where you're outnumbering the defense using team speed. And the Rangers aren't doing that. The Rangers don't play with team speed. They are one of the most, I believe last time I looked, 28th, they enter the zone with control of the puck, the 28th most in a 32-team league. That means they're <laughs> dumping it in more often than not. And they're not retrieving the puck, which is the problem. It's fine to play dump and chase. Carolina might be the best team in the league this year, and they play dump and chase hockey. You have to go get the puck, though, which is the real problem. The Rangers have. No one on that first line goes and gets the puck. Zibanejad loves sending it in from the neutral zone behind the net, and nobody just going to get it. Kreider never goes to get it. Lafreniere... Lafreniere might be their best forechecker in the top six, which is really bad, all things considered, considering he's 20 and 175 pounds soaking wet. You would think Chris Kreider would be in there. And then the second line, Goudreau gets the puck, but they do not control the puck enough to be a good team. You don't need to have amazing possession stats. You cannot be the worst team in the league in possession. That's what they are right now. They are 32nd in scoring chances, scoring chance percentage in the game. They're like 43% of scoring chances. If you're like 47, 48, you can get by with that with good goaltending and a power play. But that bottom six is just awful. The narrative, the energy is different. I will say that. Yeah, it's it's different. It's a different feel. I think ent- entertainment wise, it's great, and I think Reeves like brings a, a whole big thing to 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 locker room. And I not to cut you off, but like I thought it's so funny that there's actually a stat that tracks you know zone entries with yeah. like w- with control because that that lines up perfectly. The Rangers are always dumping and chasing the puck. But they got no speedy wingers. They don't have the speed they had in like 2013 4. They don't have like a Haglin. Who's like nope. their fastest skater? Who? Gauthier, maybe? Kreider? In a straight line, it's probably Kreider. Kreider, a- yeah. I would, I would, I would, uh, I would guess that. Yeah. But I mean, go ahead with what you were saying about the bottom six. Like, the bottom six. I understand what they wanted to do. They wanted to bring in some older guys. Some guys who would change the tone around the team to make to give the younger guys confidence. It's why, even though Reeves' numbers are god-awful, Reeves is one of the worst players in the entire NHL in pretty much every metric in existence. But the guys on the team like him. Lafreniere likes him. Ke'Andre Miller likes him. That matters. It The energy around the team is very different this year. Yes, it helps that they're winning. Winning cures all your problems. Even the most miserable of teams can coexist as long as the team is winning. The energy is different. There's not as much moping. Even though they have been starting out slow a lot, they're finding ways to get back in the game that they didn't under David Quinn. And the gallant to Quinn transition, that's the difference between this year and last year. Last year, they're 6-9-1 and one in one-goal games. This year, they're something like 15-5-1 and one in one-goal games. Those little things, the margin of error is very small, the slight difference. And there's not a big difference between the fifth-best coach in the NHL and, like, the 25th-best coach in the NHL. For the most part, it's just a matter of how good your goaltending is. But Gallant is good enough he is that much better than david quinn that they are finding a way to survive yes a lot of that is shesterkin going from a 920 goalie last year to a 940 goalie this year and if he goes back to 920 they might just be what they were last year but at the very least 
at the very least, I know the guys on the team kind of like each other. And that matters. They're not going to win anything this year. But building a positive environment where those young players are happy to come to the rink, they feel good about themselves, they're playing with confidence, that kind of stuff, it's very hard to measure. But like we were talking about with Lafreniere, you can see the confidence is building there. You see he wants to do more. Keandre Miller, same thing. You see he wants to be more involved in the play. He doesn't want to just clear the zone. Those are the kind of things where I will suck up Reeves being a vacuum on puck possession because he's made the room better. I don't know if Barkley Goudreau actually does anything in the locker room. I I don't know if I've ever heard his voice, to be honest with you. Like Reeves, we see like on Twitter three or four times a week on the team's media channels. I don't know if I've ever heard Goudreau's voice, but for all intents and purposes, they brought in a cup winner to kind of change the attitude, the perceptions, whatever. Those made sense to do. They don't have anyone who can actually play hockey with them, which is the problem. You can have a possession black hole if you have compliments for them, but... That fourth line of Reeves, McKegg, and Rooney, they just never have the puck. And I was going to punch a hole in the wall in the third period of the Penguins game when Gallant sent the McKegg-Reeves-Goudreau line out there with five minutes to go, a defensive zone, no, neutral zone start against the Crosby line. I understand the perception of, oh, I want Ryan out there to bang Sid. Sid is going to get rid of the puck before Reeves can start skating at him. <laughs> yeah, we need to be, him. it's just, it, I understand what they're trying to do, but I do think they're believing their own hype a tiny bit, which is a little bit concerning. I really do think there is no big trade deadline addition coming. If anything is coming, it's a lekin in, uh, I'm trying to, it's going to be a middle six forward. It's not going to be Pavelski. It's not going to be Hurdle. It's not going to be Giroux. It's not going to be JT Miller. The the math gets too complicated when you do that. What about Castle? For half a season, he doesn't move the needle, which is the problem. I'm fine with Phil. He's not great at this point. He's shoot only. He's not as fast as he used to be either. I'd be fine with Phil for a second, a third, whatever, for the rest of the season, but he doesn't move the needle enough to... The only good thing about adding Kessel would be you can slide someone else who's playing above their weight right now down in the lineup. That would be the advantage of adding somebody like Phil, where you can slide Gautier down to the fourth line. You can move Hunt down to the fourth line, whatever. That would be the most meaningful addition, is getting somebody who doesn't belong in the top six out of the top six. That would be the biggest thing, adding someone like Phil. Forsberg's not going to happen. Pavelski's not going to... All of these guys, aside from Giroux, I think are probably staying where they are, and they're not going to trade Giroux in the division. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would like Giroux. I think he'd fit well, but it's just... That's a lot to to ask for. I, I, who who even knows what Philly's asking price is for? It's for, probably for a Drew. one and a prospect. So you're probably one, and then Nils Lundqvist, and then yeah. something smaller like a two or a B prospect. That's usually the going rate for the best center. I mean, Kevin Hayes got a one and a prospect. That's usually the going rate for yep. your, a center on the market. The problem is Dallas has better been better the last month and a half. Dallas was pretty dead and out of it in mid-December, but they Pavelski was the guy I wanted. But Dallas is going to be in a playoff spot if yeah, they're not Pave- already. Pavelski would have been nice. Like that, that's yes. who I. I mean, you probably wouldn't have liked my proposal, but I mean, because I, I wanted. 
I would a Heedle for Pavelski. I was saying because nah, Heedle, you'd have to do a one Heedle and something else for that Pavelski. much, really, for thirty-seven-year-old Pavelski. I Pavelski's, mean, he's having a he is playing great this year. He's fifty-three points in fifty-five games, something like that. He's having a great season. It helps who he plays with because he plays with Rupe Hints, and I forget who the other line wing on their line is, but Rupe Hints is an amazing player. That's the kind of guy who is going to go under the radar his entire career because hmm. he stays in Dallas his entire life. But, yeah, the Rangers need another winger very badly. That That is the summation of the first half of the season. This They've is been... why, like, now I'm starting to realize how bad the Buchnevich trade is. Like, I, I, I wasn't a fan of it when it first happened. And, you know, people... People I got, like still talk about it on on Twitter and stuff, but you know, I mean, we're playing St. Louis coming up too. Which what yeah. is that tomorrow, right? Wednesday, Wednesday night, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be rough for some fans. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I remember when we traded Zuccarello and Callahan. Like, I was so pissed because like, those were like some of my favorite players. I know Booch was is a lot of, is a was a fan favorite, and they just got rid of him just like that, kind of like out of the blue. And you know, it basically they just created a hole for themselves, like. I don't think there's nothing wrong with Sammy Blay for me. He's a he'd be a good bottom six player. It's just that he's not Buchnevich. He's not a first line right winger that's gonna get a point per game. Like this year, Buchnevich is kicking ass. He's destroying this year, as we all okay. know he would. So you want us to know what the real, real bitch of this is? Everybody said you couldn't afford to keep him. If they were shopping Buchnevich on the trade market right now, he is the best player available at the forward position. He's oh, yeah. better uh-huh. than Pavelski. He is better than Claude Giroux. He is better than Thomas Hurdle. He would be the best player available on the trade market right now, and you could turn him into something else you could use even if you couldn't afford to keep him beyond this year. If they just said, we're going to sign you one year, but we have to trade you at the deadline because we can't let you leave for anything, he would be the best winger available on the trade market right now, and the Rangers could get some assets back for him. But they had a very specific vision for what their bottom six was going to be. It's not working, but they're getting by. They desperately, desperately need at least one, if not two more forwards. Because they can't be playing Greg McKegg. They just, they cannot be playing Greg McKegg at any. And if Greg McKegg plays in a playoff game this year, you can't, the Rangers are not winning that series. Just <laughs> flat out. They're not. They're just, they're not. And Rooney and Reeves, that's the fourth line. If it's Goudreau, Rooney, Reeves, you can survive with that as your fourth line if the third line is decent. But they need more. They just don't have enough guys right now. They're it seems like out. they're just going for just a, a top six, but then like the best teams like a Florida and Colorado, they have like at least three good lines of offense. Like yep. it's just stacked. You know, Toronto too. Like they they found a way to spread out their scoring this so year. What I, what I would say, there's a few ways you can do your roster. There's no one way to build a team in the NHL. You could do something crazy. You do what Nashville did when they went to the cup final, where they had more salary tied up in defensemen than forwards because they had that good of a defense with Roman Yossi, with Subban, with Ekholm, with Ryan Ellis. They had such a great defense. You could do something like that. The Rangers' mindset was, we are going to win every single game, 3-2 to two or 2-1. Two to one. We are going to play perfect defense. And that's not happening. The Rangers don't play perfect defense. They're the middle of the pack in most of the defensive metrics in terms of what they concede. If the defense is a little bit better, and I'm talking about like team-wide, not just the, the defenseman, 
if the team defense improves, they can get by the way they're playing offense. I don't see the defense meaningfully improving. And I mean the whole team, again, team defense improving. You could get by scoring three goals a game. You can't do that if you're giving up three or four every game. That's They wanted to be the lockdown defense team that won every game three to two, four to three, two to one, whatever. It's really hard to do that. That's why people like me are, you just want as many good forwards as possible. I don't really care about defense. Keep Puchinevich in there. You want to have as many guys as possible. You need to have eight guys who score at least 10 goals in your lineup if you want to be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. That's genuinely about the math you need. Whether they're forwards or defensemen, doesn't really matter. But you need at least eight guys to have 10. And usually about four or at least 20. That's generally the number of goals you're going to need lineup distribution. And right now, Zabinijad, Panarin, Strom, Kreider, those are all 20-goal guys. Great. Beyond that, Lafreniere is on pace for 18. Kako, I think, is at 11 or 12. They don't have enough guys who've scored enough goals. Goudreau is the only other guy. If could find a way to finish on half of his chances, I think he'd be have at least 10 goals. He's a he's got I think three on the season, three or four on the season, and he's shooting five percent. He's got a five shooting percentage. That's crazy. league average. League average is eight and a half nine. So if he was a league average shooter, he's probably got seven, eight. So about you're about right. He'd be yeah. closer to ten. So that's somebody and he'd all same thing. He's shooting about seven percent. He should be about a point and a half. So he should have another goal or two. The math gets very difficult when you're trying to win a Stanley Cup. It really gets difficult, and they don't have enough goals. They just do not have enough goals. It seems like it's always been a problem. Like, with, oh, it always oh, has. It doesn't matter they, who's the coach. Like, just it doesn't matter who the goalie team. is. Who's yeah, it doesn't matter team. who the goalie is. They overvalue goaltending and defense, and this is the best, the simplest way I can explain it. It is impossible to win a hockey game 0-0. You can have the best goalie in the world and play perfect defense in front of him. 20 overtimes. You cannot win a hockey game 0-0. At some point, someone needs to be able to score a goal. That is why it is always better to buy offense over defense. You get into trouble when you start trying to buy defense because defense is very hard to quantify. It is very hard to transition from team to team. Because different teams play different defenses. There's no... Just because Barkley Goudreau was very good defensively on Tampa Bay last year doesn't mean he's going to be good in Gerard Gallant's system on the Rangers. Their defense is very hard to translate team to team and year to year. You can have a nice run. There's no guarantee defense will carry over year to year. And the same thing with goaltending. Shesterkin will probably be a top 10 goalie every single season of his career. He pro- there's no guarantee he will ever be the best goalie in the league again like he is being this season. And that's what's so frustrating about the big picture of they're wasting an all-time great goaltending season. Like, uh. he legitimately has heart trophy. He has heart trophy buzz for league MVP, how good he's been in net. And absolute best case, barring they go out and get somebody crazy, is... They beat Pittsburgh in the first round, and then Carolina slaughters them in the second round. That oh, is my. like... Th- the absolute best case scenario, because that's the way it's going to be. Unless Washington makes a run and leapfrogs the Rangers, and then God help them, the Rangers go to the other division and we play Florida in the first round. Oh we'll God, we'll get massacred. Yes. If we play Carolina or Florida, we're done. That's it. 
Yes, curtains. They they might be able to beat Pittsburgh if they drag it out like what Saturday's game was, where every single game is two to one or one nothing, and just say Shesterkin's better than Yari. We think we can do that four out of seven times. That might work. They're not beating Carolina. They're not beating Florida. I don't think they can beat Toronto if they were to get to a conference final. So no, I don't I, think they, they – I mean, the way they played against, like, Florida the last game before the break. That was played, great. Like, that was great. That was that was good. Like, that third period, it, they spent it in their zone, and they were they were winning. Like, yeah. you don't see that happen. It's always, like, when they're, when they're winning, it's like all the chances come here as fans were, were like – we're having a heart attack, like a mental breakdown, like with all these chances, and Shesterkin's saving everything, standing on his head. Typical. Even that's what Lundqvist used to do. It's still nope. the same thing. I don't. You can't build your team around the goaltender. I mean, Shesterkin's great. Again, hard trophy numbers, like you said. Should probably win the Vezina this year. Uh, who knows? Who knows what those writers and whoever votes for that thing are gonna do? They did vote for Fox. They did vote Fox for for Norris last year, and that was a surprise. We all thought like freaking Drew Doughty was gonna win or, or Headman. Yeah. Dan Rosen. The the people who work for NHL.com irk the irk the ever loving shit out of me. <laughs> all they do is bait. That is their entire content model is bait to get people to interact with their stuff. As opposed to using all of the access and the stuff they have to create interesting stuff. It is beyond frustrating. <laughs> One thing I do remember from our conversation when I was on before the season was we wanted more consistency. Yeah. They are consistently the same team pretty much every single game. There is no surprise. There is no David Quinn up and down. It's they probably give up the first goal. They fight their way back in. They have a good push. And if they don't score that goal to get it to 1-1, then it snowballs. Like what happened against Vancouver on Sunday night where they scored one nothing. They had a bunch of great chances down on Demko. And then Tyler Myers came down 2 nothing. That was the game. At 2 nothing on a back-to-back, they were shot. And they're consistently the same team. Their numbers haven't meaningfully changed. They've been middle of the pack or worse in all of the major metrics all season long. But Shesterkin's been 930 save percentage or better all year, and the power play has been no worse than fifth. That's enough in the regular season. You can be a good, bad team and make the playoffs. If you are the best, bad team, you can make the playoffs. I think Washington is the best, bad team. The Rangers are a little bit better than them. But they'll make the playoffs. I don't expect much when they get there. No, I don't like... expect much either. This isn't the cup. Like I, I keep hearing people say, "Oh, we need to go out and get a get somebody big at the deadline." I'm like, "What do you mean? Like you, you're willing to sacrifice Nils Lundqvist for 20 games of Joe Pavelski? Like, I mean, if if you want to keep somebody with term, like then yeah, I don't mind that. But if you're just going for like hurdle and then not keeping him, I don't see the point in that. I I don't understand it. This is not okay. the year to win the cup." So to play devil's advocate for against that, number one, this is might be the best season of Shesterkin's career. That's true, a, yes. You you bring a 940, 940 save percentage goalie into a playoff series, you can beat anyone. You can beat anybody. You think about what Price did last year, what Carter Hart did two years ago. You can drag any team a couple of rounds into the playoffs with a 940 goalie. Number two. They've got all of the cap space for this season. So they can add anybody on an expiring contract with no consequence. Number three, this might be your best shot at it. As bad as that sounds, <laughs> there is no guarantee that Lafreniere gets any better, that Kako gets any better, that 
Kreider ever has a 30-goal season again, that Panarin doesn't, you know, start to decline as he gets older, that Truba declines as he starts to get older, Zabinijad declines, starts to get older. This might be your best shot, and that just goes to show you how hard it is to build a good team. We all thought the Rangers were well set up. They don't have any money after this season to add anybody new to this group. If they bring everybody back who's on the team right now, they will effectively be capped out. This team is not good enough to win a Stanley Cup unless Lafreniere and Kako make dramatic leaps. Dramatic leaps. That's they play as they were advertised their draft yes. year, basically. Yeah. Yes. If Kako, 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 the best player in the world, Lafreniere, the best player, the best like Canadian player, basically, like the next Crosby or whatever. Lafreniere, it's a not, bit... not the next Crosby, but like, I mean, he yeah. played for Ramuski. He was the best draft prospect. Not McDavid. He was ahead of McKinnon in the developmental things I was looking at earlier because I went and did a dun- bunch of research. Best prospect other than McDavid since McKinnon. That's what Lafreniere's junior profile was. He's got time. He's only 20. The problem is the Rangers core is old, and they did that to themselves. They went out and they signed Panarin. They signed Truba. They gave Fox a big extension. Fox is young. That doesn't really matter. You gave Zabinijad an extension. You gave Kreider an extension. It's really hard to build a good team in the NHL. And the, the Rangers elevated their floor. They've got a decently high floor. They don't have a high enough ceiling. That is what I would say about where they are at the moment. And unless there are dramatic improvements from guys who are already here, there's no real there's no money to get anyone else. So we need to pray the pandemic revenue streams come back. We need full houses everywhere. We need better TV deals in other countries. We need better monetization of NHL content in other places. Because unless the revenue streams start to grow again and the cap goes up, you know what's crazy? The summer they signed Truba, I wrote something that by 2022, the NHL salary cap should be about $105 million a season. And that's what it would be right now if there wasn't a pandemic, $105 million a season. That changes everything. Exactly. And the pandemic really fucked the Rangers, if we're going to be honest. Because they signed Truba and Panarin that summer. The pandemic was the following spring. That's $20 million against the cap between the two of those guys. $20 million out of $80 million is a lot more than $20 million out of $105 million, which is what the Rangers were projecting the salary cap would be down the road. So the Rangers have really gotten screwed. The Leafs have really gotten screwed. Colorado has gotten really screwed by this sal- this flat salary cap situation. Yeah, it was supposed to be like that season, the pandemic season was like eighty three and a half million, if I'm not yes. mistaken, right? And then, yep. And then and the then TV deal flat. kicks in. The TV deal kicks in. The new one, the TNT ESPN, that was supposed to be somewhere between fifteen and twenty million dollars of additional revenue per team. There's wow. your hundred million. That gets you to a hundred. Yeah. And then one more season, a hundred and one, hundred and two. We should be around $103, million, just based on basic math. Basic math, but two years of no crowds or limited crowds has dramatically set the lead back. And the players still have a lot of ways to go in paying the money they owe back, which is really screwed up. But that's what happens when you over-forecast your money. It's complicated. There's a lot of moving parts, and yeah. Is that that escrow situation? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, so I haven't paid too much attention to it. I just know Panarin said something about it like uh, a while ago. And yeah, that that's that's just, uh, it's so sad though. 
Uh, I mean, I was hoping that the the TNT deal. I I like I like the TNT thing that ESPN. They're fine. It's fine. They're fine. It's fine. Hockey is just not NBC. a big enough sport, unfortunately. That's that's the problem. That's the what NHL, it comes down to. The NHL is entirely driven on people going to games. That is the most important thing in determining how much money a team makes. It's why the Rangers, the Leafs, the Habs. The teams in the major established markets are always going to have advantages, why they're always going to make more money. And we pay to support the teams that don't. The Rangers, the Leafs, the Habs, we pay for the Blue Jackets of the world, the Florida Panthers of the world, the Coyotes of the world. We pay for those teams to exist. That That is the problem with the way the NHL's economics work right now. Yeah. All right. So uh, to, to wrap it up, I mean, yeah, the consistency. Overall, it's, I think it's been pretty good. Special teams. Yeah. It's power been good. Plays, this is the best power play the Rangers have had in my life. In my yes, exactly. Life. Remember, like, remember, like, under Torts, it was just, like, an automatic, like, two minutes in, like, just chasing the puck, going back and forth, skating lines up and down the ice. Oh, my gosh. Such a huge – I never thought I'd be able to see it. I never thought I'd live to see the day where we'd have a great power play. It's nice. It's very yeah. nice. Oh my gosh! It's like oh, it's what is it? What are we ranked? Third, fourth in the league? Uh, I wrote it down. Something fourth. fourth, fourth in the league. Okay, yeah, that's that's incredible. Penalty kill is not bad either. I mean, seventh. Yeah, they've been seventh? good all year too. Damn. Yeah. Special teams and goaltending has pretty much carried us. Yes. Uh, you just got to get that even strength game up, and and they don't even need it to be perfect. They just need it to be better. They don't even need to be above 50%. You get to 47, 48, that's fine. I see them generate a lot of chances right now. They just can't finish. Demko's standing on his head. Jaru's standing on his head. Like, And then always with the random goalies they could never score on. Like the Craig Andersons of the world, the Jimmy Howards of the world. Those Jimmy Howard, ugh, Jimmy Howard, uh, Jimmy Howard had one good, one good postseason run in Detroit. He got on the Olympic team. Mediocre, but against the Rangers, that man was a brick wall. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that about does it for us here on the Ice Cold Takes podcast for this week. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, We'll see you guys next week. Hey, Rangers fans. Thank you so much for listening to the Ice Cold Takes podcast this week. Make sure you follow at Ice Cold Takes pod on Twitter to stay up to date with the latest Rangers info. See you all next week. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.